Care Norris scrubs are designed with you, our healthcare heroes, in mind. Our luxurious scrubs are the perfect blend of style and comfort, giving you the freedom to feel confident and look your best while providing exceptional care. For a limited time, enjoy 20% off of our scrubs with code MCMS20 at karenware.com. Thank you for all that you do for patients and families every day. So we know that uh, mother's own milk is superior to any alternative, but there's just a million things in the way of reaching those simple goals of giving your own milk to your own baby. Hi, welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. Our guest today is Dr. Lori Jones, and she went to the Medical College of Georgia after graduating Georgia Tech in Applied Biology, completing her residency at UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham. She's a board-certified pediatrician, the founder of Dr. Milk, which is a physician mother breastfeeding support network of, I think, over 14,000 participants. And she's also been recognized as a Phoenix top doc. Cool side note that she's also a steward of the, of the uh, McDowell Sonoran Preserve, which is, I think, is really cool and a, an avid golf fan as well. Um, <laughs> Dr. Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We want to talk about breastfeeding, and I'm wondering if you can start by framing for listeners why you got interested in breastfeeding and essentially why it matters to newborns and mothers. Sure. Yeah, you know, I had trouble with my own um, breastfeeding journey when my daughter was born, you know, a little over 14 years ago, and someone helped me. I went to several lactation consultants, but the person who helped me had a shelf of books And she pulled books off the shelf and she looked through them and then she wrote down instructions for me. And I asked, I thought, well, where did you get those books? What's in those books? (laughs) I didn't know there were books, (laughs) you know, so I was, I basically discovered that there was this whole universe of medical knowledge around lactation um, that is really not taught in medical school, not really taught in residency, exists in a world of, of nurses and lactation consultants, but it mostly exists outside or it did in the past of the physician's sphere. Um, and either accidentally or on purpose, this is just the way it has happened. La Leche League is peer-to-peer support, um, but I could not, I didn't have the knowledge myself and I was just so jealous of her training. So then I just bought all the books she had and took every course I could find and trained myself. And then it changed my practice. Why would you say it matters so much to newborns and to mothers, the the, the science behind it? Yes, sure. So, I mean, from a biology standpoint, feeding human babies human milk is way the way things were meant to work. From a cultural standpoint, there are a lot of barriers and there are a lot of reasons that you know, 85 to 90% of new parents want to breastfeed their infants. But at, you know, just within a few weeks, that number of who are actually breastfeeding will drop down into the 50% range. You get out to six months, 
even just partial breastfeeding is only in about the 30% range. And at a year, it's single digits that have made it without giving any other forms of milk. So something happens, you know, where you, we know this is what we want to do. We recommend it for everyone. Um, you know, there are fewer infections for the baby. Uh, the mother has lower rates of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Um, you know, it's essentially the perfect component for your baby, your milk, every mother's milk is different um, for their, for their each baby in a different way. So we know that uh, mother's own milk is superior to any alternative, but there's just a million things in the way of reaching those simple goals of giving your own milk to your own baby. Okay. Um, the U.S. Breastfeeding Committee reports that 83% of, of infants initiate breastfeeding with 25% of babies exclusively breastfeeding at six months of age. And from 2007 to about 2022, there's been a steady increase in breastfeeding rates. So do you know if that is continuing a long-term trend upward or reversing a decrease in breastfeeding from decades ago? It's both. Both things are true. So the um, promotion of, of breast milk as the ideal way to feed your infant the word has gotten out. And so the medical community has really finally embraced um, breastfeeding over the alternative forms, which essentially is formula. Um, I would say, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you might get a pediatrician who would say they preferred the infant to receive formula because they don't know anything about breastfeeding. And frankly, the formula is just easier to manage. So that attitude is gone. I would say the physician support on the OBGYN side, family medicine and peds and neonatology has completely swung to say, hey, I think we need to feed our own species the milk that was made for them. Hey, this is great stuff. So that promotion has improved and the acceptance of breastfeeding as the norm has improved. Um, and then there've been you know, laws and things passed to make it more doable in a real life way when people return to work or school there's, you know, the hospitals themselves where the infants are born are some of the biggest barriers to initial breastfeeding. Um, getting the help that you need to learn and act. So we could just put everybody on pumps and every baby could get breast milk from somebody if we just lined people up and said, this is what we want to do. But the act of breastfeeding is a two-person dynamic. And so teaching uh, a parent and an infant how to do something is very difficult to do in a hospital. Okay. It's sort of like, you know, like if you've had a stroke and you're learning to walk again, you consult physical therapy, you know, neuro might be involved. You've got splints. There are a lot of people helping you to learn to walk. So when you have an infant, it's even harder to learn how to breastfeed all by yourself. You don't have your family around you. You're not surrounded in a cave by all the other people that are breastfeeding. And you have things that separate mothers and babies. Um, and then all, just the birth process gets in the way. And then the hospital is probably the worst possible person, if you could call the hospital a person, to teach a mother and an infant how to do something instinctive. It's instinctive if you leave them alone in a cave with some help from their family, but that's just not how uh, modern birth works. So that's really been the biggest problem is the disconnect between the advice we give parents and then there's really nobody there to help them do it. Okay. One final question here, and then we'll take a short break. But when you look at 
the populations writ large of of women broken down by race, ethnicity, age, or education, for example, other things. Um, how do those rates differ? And sort of who's falling behind, I guess, on the breastfeeding rates that we have here? Yeah, pe- I mean, people of color, um, you know, rather than saying women, I'm just going to say people or lactating persons, you know, people of color definitely have lower rates. Anyone who qualifies for the WIC program has lower breastfeeding rates. And the tragedy behind this is that the maternal and infant benefits are even more powerful for people of color. So the really, really highest, dangerous, most deadly breast cancer rates are in people of color and the breastfeeding benefits to those lactating parents are even more powerful. So, you know, it kind of becomes this divide. Um, It's another sort of social determinant of health um, that you don't even think about access to your mother's own milk in infancy as being one of those sort of trajectories that you follow. But it's a cultural, there are cultural overlays. There's implicit bias in healthcare where um, you take a person of color who tells the labor and delivery nurse, I'm going to do both breast and formula. And instead of doing just a little bit of, you know, interviewing with them where you tease out why they're saying what they're saying. They just make assumptions about them and say, all right, here's the formula. How much do you need to take home? Versus someone who is white, um, who really strongly desires to breastfeed. When they ask for a formula, they will get a, a different response from the labor and delivery nurse who might coax them through, or do you want me to call lactation? Or So you get these kind of either subconscious or conscious biases in healthcare that um, make it all self-fulfilling. So some of the best breastfeeding support out there that is peer-to-peer, there are um, Black mother support groups, um, Latina, they're indigenous um, support groups. When it comes from within the culture and the lactation consultants actually understand all the variables, that's the best kind of counseling that you get um, when it's mostly about reversing cultural norms. The bigger part of healthcare providers is to just recognize your own inevitable bias. Um, even if you are a person of color, you may not understand the indigenous population or where that family is from or all the circumstances of their life. So just recognizing that we have that bias is a kind of a big step we all need to take. Thank you. You're listening to the Arizona Physician Podcast. And our guest today is Dr. Lori Jones. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and Podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is pediatrician, Dr. Lori Jones. So you're with Agave Pediatrics and I'm wondering the patients that you see, um, what do they tell you about barriers to breastfeeding? Yeah, I see... um you know, a mix of patients from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic status. I get kind of a wave of people 
of all varieties, of all backgrounds, who have pain with breastfeeding in the first one to two weeks. So the initial barriers are typically pain related or poor weight gain. The infant is not gaining weight well. And either the problem is with the lactating parent not making enough as a primary diagnosis or as a secondary diagnosis. So you all, you know, it's a two-person differential diagnosis, the dyad, which is why I think it's so nerdy and fun, is that you've got to work on two patients to figure out where the problem is. So that's the first wave of problems are just the physical latching and figuring out how to make this work. The next wave of people that have trouble and barriers tends to be between the four to eight week mark with planning for return to work or school and some self-sabotage and think they have to wean early or they don't know their rights in the workplace or they need just help picking a pump or they don't know how milk supply works over time and they think they're going to need this huge freezer stash that they don't really need. And then the other ones tend to trickle along throughout the first year. When I lose them, tends to be around um, the six-month slump where you're just sick of doing the pumping or you're sick of the breastfeeding, you know, like you're finally able to admit, man, this has got some, this is difficult. I'm on the job around the clock, you know, um, and then people get the return of menses that can affect supply or they're doing a workout routine. I tend, I lose people around that six month point or I help them get through it is a different way to think of it. And then, it, then I get people who have become pregnant and they get a new placenta and that dries your milk up. So Typically, I call these booby traps uh, where you can kind of predict, <laughs> you can predict very, pretty easily when people are going to have trouble with longitudinal breastfeeding. So all my checkups, I have those kind of booby traps built into my patient counseling ahead of time um, to try and at least bring it up in the conversation before it's too late, you know, before I can't help them with their milk supply or their barriers. Because my goal is for every single person who walks in the office and wants to breastfeed when they're in the first week, that they should be doing it a year. I don't understand why the World Health Organization thinks there would be any decay in those numbers. Why isn't, if 83% want to do it at the start, don't we want 83% to be breastfeeding at a year? The goal is a bare bones minimum one year. And the AAP increased it to two years recently and kind of annoyed people and inadvertently made people upset <laughs> about it. But the goal is solids at six months, but breast milk by itself without any other milk all the way to one to two years. So that's my target. If people drop off before that point and it's their choice, I'm not interfering, but I'm there to sort of try to prevent them from falling in those known traps. How do mothers respond to this? Like, do if mothers uh, have difficulty producing or they they don't meet targets that you've tried to set out for them, the guidelines, do people feel like it's a failure or they feel like, is there something wrong with me? Or do people very openly say, that's great. I'm going to try to take that on, but I'll, I'll try my best. You know, what is, I guess, the, um, yeah. the psychological response they often provide? It's a, I would say the short answer is there's a profound psychological impact when a parent cannot feed and they wanted to. When you cannot breastfeed and you are not able to, it is an absolute trauma 
just like people go through in other parts of their life. These parents carry the guilt and shame and worry and all of that for decades. And they tend to pass it on to their children too. They'll tell stories of how they couldn't breastfeed and they inadvertently pass it on through the other generations by acting as if it's something that you inherit. So I have found that there is a grief process when someone is not able to reach their goals despite good counseling, good effort, all the things. You have to find a root cause. I do. I feel like there is always a reason that this process didn't go the way we wanted it to go. And the way you prevent all of the shame and the guilt and all of that is by explaining to the parent where things went awry and how much of that was out of their control and that they have done the best that they can. So it's not placating them and saying, oh, we've got formula. Don't worry. Formula is just as good as breast milk. That's probably the worst thing you could possibly say to somebody who wanted to breastfeed. The people who want to formula feed I leave them alone. I'm not going to coach and counsel them. The people who want, they they have made clear what their goals are. And people who blend formula in, once they've explained it to me, I'm not touching it. That is what they want to do. I'm not here to bully somebody into breastfeeding and that would never be successful. And they would never come back to me, by the way, for any follow-up appointments. So I treat the failure of breastfeeding as a really psychologically delicate time. And um, we try to build in a little bit longer appointments for some of the weight checks and the newborn appointments. And we have lactation consultants built into our practice. And a lot of what they do is counseling and coaching and therapy. Um, And then I try to ask open-ended questions like, is feeding going the way you want it to go? And then I ask them to describe it to me. So first, is it going the way you want it to go? If they say yes, then I ask How is it going? Tell me. And then I move on. If it's not going well, then we dive deep so that it's not my goal, my target. You're not trying to make me happy. I'm here to help you reach your goals. Thank you very much. Um, A big thing that you did uh, well over a decade ago is helped to found or founded Dr. Milk. And a correction in the intro earlier, I I mentioned 14,000. I understand it's over 40,000 participants now. And other physicians help you out. They moderate content. You've got a list of those on that site. Is your audience for Dr. Milk mothers or other healthcare professionals or both? We have very specific criteria for Dr. Milk. It's um, you have to be an MD or a DO and you have to be in at least like your third year of medical school where you have a badge in a hospital. So we check the NPI number of everybody. And if it's a medical student, we check their badge. Um, And then you just have to not be a cisgendered male. So, you know, there's lots of uh, different ways that people label themselves and others label them. But for our group, for people post pictures and tell very intense stories, uh, it's only a safe space because we protect it. Um, in that way. And we we don't even let people, if you have a joint account with a spouse, even if it's same gender, different gender, it doesn't matter. We're not letting you in. So you have to be kind of by yourself. And we have a few questions we ask people and say, look, this has to be a safe space for us to all be really vulnerable. And the bigger it gets, the harder it is to keep it um, you know, a safe space because physicians don't have a hard time admitting that they're having trouble. That's one of the biggest barriers. And the reasons that I founded the group were that Physician mothers had lower breastfeeding rates than WIC enrollees. 
Wow. But their, their initiation rates were 97. So physician parents, 97. Compare that to your national data of 83. So physician parents even more strongly want to reach feeding goals and breastfeed. And their, their one-year numbers, just abysmal. Um, and, and I, you know, my residency was a long time ago. And it, there were two people in my program of 60. And I was a chief for a year. Two people in four years who who pumped unbelievable with a with a specialty that is more than 50% women um so so you know we've come a long way and i had my kids later you know when i was out of residency but our group exists to sort of break down the barriers that are very specific to physician mothers and those that are shared by all people who are returning to any kind of work my final question for you is um for other physicians listening, other healthcare professionals who are looking for more training in breastfeeding, where can they turn? Oh man, this is where the sky's the limit now. At the start, I had to go through nursing classes and there's nothing wrong with nursing courses, but I'm not a nurse. (laughs) I diagnose and treat. I have differential diagnosis skills. I have testing and treating. So in, in the past, you had to go through those courses. Now there are courses for physicians, that are run by physicians. Um, so if you use IABLE, I-A-B-L-E, they're nonprofit, um, but they, it is the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding Lactation Education. They have online classes and um, in-person meetings, both, that you can just purchase, you know, ahead of time or show up for the meeting and meet people. But they have coursework that's beginner coursework where all you want to do is just be smarter in your practice about managing breastfeeding or faster at your checkups and just quicker to be able to build your differential diagnosis, or you, you're not sure how to dabble in breasts. If you're a, if you're a baby doctor, how do you dabble in breasts? Or if you're a breast doctor, like an OBGYN, how do you dabble in babies when you aren't licensed to practice in that field? It will give you the confidence you need to cross the bridge that absolutely has to be crossed for this dyad. It would be like um, reproductive endo, you know, where you're taking care of the the two, the spouse, the, the husband and wife, or the man and the woman, or egg and sperm, however you want to call it. You know, you're taking care of two different ones, even though you're really uh, an OBGYN. So if you use iABLE, they have online courses and in-person. Lists of books, there's a breastfeed, there's a Facebook group that is not Dr. Milk. So there is a, anyone can join. Um, it's called Doctors Practicing Breastfeeding Medicine or Who Want To. It's a very long name. <laughs> um, and anyone can join that. This has nothing to do with men or women. There are plenty of male family medicine physicians, internal medicine, urgent care, ER docs, anesthesiologists, surgeons. Everyone needs to understand the lactating breast. Let's stop telling people to pump and dump. Let's give good advice when we prescribe medications. Let's not break up the breastfeeding diet if we don't have to. So all of us need to be trained in basic competencies of the lactating breast and not just the cancerous breast that we got in medical school. So if you just want that, there's a small course. And if you want to practice breastfeeding medicine as a subspecialty of neonatology, OBGYN, breast surgery, PEDS, OB, then is a different class. And there's actually board certification now um, that's coming down the pipe from, there's a North American, I can't remember the letters of it, but it involves lactate, making an actual certification in Canada and the United States and Mexico for breastfeeding medicine for MDs and DOs. 
That is awesome. Where can people go to contact you or find more information, for example, about Dr. Milk? I would say the best way to get into Dr. Milk, if you we're searchable on Facebook, um, the M-I-L-K is Mothers Interested in Lactation Knowledge, but it's just Dr. Period Milk. Um, and if you write and answer the questions, that's how we let people in. Now you just have to say your name, your specialty, put your NPI and you get in. And we have a, the website, drmilk.org. I don't do my Twitter like I used to. If you write me, I probably will not write you back. <laughs> but the website, we do keep up with people. And I'm at Agave Peds, you know, four days a week. I'm there too. People need help. Dr. Laura Jones, thank you so much for everything you're doing for, for patients and for little kiddos. And thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015, helping physicians be the best they can be.